Hello folks and welcome to this week's edition of Variable D Postulate Ensemble Projects. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsoff, and as always, I'll be acting as your host. I've got a wonderful conversation to share with you today and we'll get to that momentarily. But first, here's my weekly shout out to the musical instrument uh, mouthpiece companies that I endorse. As a professional trumpeter, I play wedge mouthpieces exclusively from bass trumpet to piccolo. These wonderful mouthpieces are created by Dave Harrison from Gabriel Island up in British Columbia, Canada. These mouthpieces are truly unique, but if you are a wedge responder, and those are Dave's words, uh, they work wonderfully. If you're a brass one player, you really owe it to yourself to at least try one of these mouthpieces. Just go to www.wedgemouthpiece.com to find out more. Next, I play all Getson trumpets, once again from bass trumpet to piccolo. These fine horns are made in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, up there not too far from Lake Geneva. They are all American-made from the valve block to the bell. Because the valves are among the best in the business and are guaranteed for life. Finally, as pro-quality horns, these are very favorably priced. To find out more, just visit www.getson.com or just reach out to your local musical, musical instrument dealer and they'll get some information for you. Now on to today's show. Over the last year or so, I've been stumbling across a jazz fusion band called Spocket, created by Luke Engel and Ken Stebley. These folks are playing some really incredibly creative and interesting original jazz rock fusion music. After quietly following them online for a while, and yeah, I kind of hear that, it sounds a little stalky, <laughs> uh, but I finally decided to bug them to do a show. They have a lot of wonderful ideas about adaptation and survival in the music business in the 21st century from the, from the point of view of millennials. And they just have some really great ideas about creating uh, music these days. Before we get to my conversation with Luke and Ken, uh, let's listen to one of their new tracks. Here is Swag Mountain, created and performed by the Chicago band Spocket.
All right, folks, uh, I'm online here speaking to uh, Ken Stebley and Luke Engel. Uh, gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I feel like I'm uh, uh, trying to hide out from the zombie apocalypse outside or something, <laughs> uh, waiting for Bill Murray to come by with some golf clubs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy, crazy times. Uh, you know, just kind of you know, explain to the audience a little bit. We were kind of tangled up with some tech things a little bit earlier, but I think we're up and running now. Uh, and uh, the uh, gentleman you spot founded the band uh, called Spotify, and uh, uh, that that's that's no, not Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> okay, uh, it, you know, if that was it Spotify, that would be that would yeah, be that, amazing. <laughs> that, that that's a totally boomer uh, full pot if I ever heard one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, but I'm not going to edit that out. I'm going to leave it in there so everybody, all the millennials, can have. A I wish laugh. I had found it Spotify. My my apartment <laughs> would be much nicer. Hot legal dispute. At the okay, okay. Spocket. We said Spocket. That's what I meant. Spocket. Spocket. But okay. So anyway, I I've been listening to your stuff online. Just absolutely love it. And really admire what you all are, are are doing out there. And I kind of watch a lot of the. Um, I don't know, uh, newer bands. That's the word I want to go with. Uh, the, and, and really kind of been intrigued uh, by how y'all are uh, putting this together and surviving uh, in the you know, trying times in the, in the music business. And when I say trying times, it's really nuts right now. Um, so let me ask this. Let's go back and you know, uh, uh, to the beginning. Uh, what drove you to get into music professionally? And again, talk individually, Luke. Let's start with you. Uh, what yeah. what drove you to get into music professionally? Well, uh, you know, I, again, it's something something I hadn't really. I never, I never really thought to question it. Like it was just something I was naturally drawn to when I was young, and it was a uh, it was a way for me to get positive attention from adults. So that was good. <laughs> and uh, after a while, um, it just I, I, I there are a couple albums in my in my youth that I picked up and I just I kind of got obsessed with them. Um, and uh, uh, at a certain point in my 20s, I, uh, I was reading uh, reading some uh, some books by uh, Charles Bukowski. And he, he had a quote that really summed it up for me. He was just and he was talking about writing, but I think it applies to music or passions in general. And he was saying uh, if. Don't write unless you or uh, only write if you can't not write. And so I apply that to music. So I'm like, I play music because at this point, I, I can't not do it. It's a it's a part of who I am. I've I've been around it. I've been a performer my entire life. So I, uh, I yeah, I just get uncomfortable when I'm not on the stage or being creative uh, musically. Ken, how about you? Uh, well, for me, I, I was just uh, always naturally drawn towards towards music. Like I, 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 I remember like just be, like how much joy I felt even as like a really small child when like my dad would put on Queen and even like just just me like witnessing that. I remember having so much fun just listening to it. And then once I kind of like became or it came around some musical instruments as I got older, I couldn't not play with them. Kind of like Luke was saying, I just couldn't not do it. I, I was so interested and drawn into uh, just musical instruments and making sounds and stuff. And I thought it was like really magical that like people can make sounds and it has this effect, right? Everyone like kind of wants to move around and smile and stuff. And I thought that was amazing. And then by the time I got 
you know, I had to choose my career, kind of getting out of high school and stuff. I was getting a lot of pressure from my folks, like, what are you going to do? You got to do something. What are you going to do? And uh, I think at that point, the thing I was best at was probably skateboarding and playing guitar. But since they don't have any skateboarding <laughs> degrees, I kind of defaulted to, to guitar because um, it didn't make sense for me to do, I don't know, anything else because I wasn't the best student and stuff. But I was pretty good at pretty good at music. Uh, so I went with that. And then, um, you know, I just kind of had the thought like, man, I'm, I'm listening to all these, you know, bands and, and people that I look up to, you know, and they're doing this thing that is great and they're, you know, surviving doing it. You know, why can't I be one of those people? And kind of once I decided that, I just kind of hit the gas and didn't look back, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the idea about uh, do something that you can't imagine not doing. Um, yep. Do you, how about this this thought? Does an audience, do you have to have an audience, or is is it just enough to play, or is, a, is a, the give and take between yourselves as musicians uh, require uh, the uh, symbiotic thing with an audience? Um, I don't, I, for me personally, I think, I mean, the audience is really, really nice, but I know that if for whatever reason I couldn't do this professionally anymore, I would still do it to some capacity. Oh, I would okay. find a way to be passionate about it. So I guess the audience is important. Um, you know, it, it, it's great for your ego, and it's really good in a professional <laughs> sense. Um, um, and it's validating. It's 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 validating, no, especially if they paid money to come see you. That's, that's fantastic. I, and it gives you uh, gives me a, a more even more reason to wake up and keep creating. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the quote says it like I, I just I can't not do it at this point. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the audience, I guess, at the end of the day is not the most important thing in that. Luke, what do you think? Sorry about that. Uh, so I think that uh, it's for, you know, an interest in music often starts without an audience like you almost start it as an audience member just kind of witnessing the music and then deciding to get into it and you know there's really no audience yet but i think at a certain point uh you it's the audience kind of completes the picture and when i say audience i don't necessarily say like a huge following but i just i guess i mean like you got to start putting your music in front of people one way or another even if it's like one or two people or 20 people at a bar or something or however many listeners you can get on spotify I think that's part of the experience is to present uh, what you've been working on. Um, so it's uh, for me, it kind of completes the picture. But it's, that's not to say that, like, you know, if you you know, if you're putting your music out there and you don't have a whole lot of fans, then, you know, you don't have an audience. For me, it's it's just kind of like the act of making it a publicly viewable thing that you're doing and for me it's a part of the experience like i want listeners i play differently when there's listeners in the room yeah. very often i play very often i'm I, I might play better you know what i mean because knowing that someone's listening is uh it just it changes how i perform and it turns into this like a uh, like kind of like cyclical you know feedback type thing that uh, for me is very much part of the experience but again, it's uh, like, like there's no audience in the practice room and stuff like that. And there's no yeah, audience, yeah. you know, when you're studying. Yeah. But to some capacity, I think like uh, you should present your stuff publicly um, to kind of complete that musical picture. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it, even if no one likes it. <laughs> well, I would amend uh, uh, my answer to include some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. And, you know, I, I guess maybe from I was asking because as a as a professional trumpet player, I I I just love to play. I mean, I can just sit in my family room and just practice all day long. Uh, I feel kind of weird though. Uh, if I don't get to go out and play it in front of somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I have to, I want to, I love doing it. And I want somebody else. I want to share it with somebody. Say, Isn't this cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen to this. <laughs> and maybe Absolutely. they don't like it. They, I have to admit though, if they don't like it, kind of, you know, I get, Oh man, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of hurt, <laughs> but you know, so, uh, yeah, so I've disabled comments on my YouTube. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so let me let me come back to let's keep let's keep along this train of thought here. Um, now you're compared to me, I'm a baby boomer, and you would probably be what what millennials? Is that kind of? A... Yeah, I think we're on the older spectrum of millennials, yeah. right okay. at that borderline, probably. Yeah, yeah, and the main reason I even bring that up is that you know a lot of the ideas we're going to discuss uh, can get picked up on by music students. Uh, People, a lot of listeners that I have are uh, music students who are considering careers in music. And so I think having a chronological perspective uh, gives a, a little added light from which they can consider the ideas they can pick up uh, on the show. So anyway, uh, that, there's enough babbling there. Um, what would you consider a, a, a big break for you? What was your first big break in the business when you got when they got out there and first started playing? What was the first big opportunity that uh, jumped out at you? Now, when you say opportunity, is that do you mean an opportunity for like a you know to get in front of a large crowd, or, or maybe more like a money making opportunity? Because well, I guess a little bit of both. I mean, yeah. let, let's. For, you know what? Let's go with the opportunity to perform for a large number of people. The money-making thing, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Sure, sure. Um, well, when, when I went to school in, uh, at McNally Smith in St. Paul, there was a lot of musicians. I mean, it was a music school. And it was the only school in downtown, so most of the young people walking around were musicians. And uh, honestly, just being in that environment of like, Anyone that I'll run into on the street that's my age is probably a music student. So naturally, there was a lot of events, and uh, I'm grateful for everything that was organized. But it was it was that around that time when I actually got up on stage in front of relatively large crowds for whatever may have been happening. You know, there was jazz fests in the summer and stuff, and different kind of events that were being booked through the school. Uh, and I, I guess yeah, it was it was that kind of platform that kind of like I'll call it my training wheels for playing live okay because I wasn't very good but like the gigs were available you know I, I was I had the chance to get up there and, and play in front of people and got a lot of confidence through those initial couple years of doing that so I, I mean I so I guess I will say that it was the school kind of bringing people together when enough like-minded people get together you know events will happen yeah yeah what do you think, Luke? Well, I uh, definitely. I mean, when I was at North Texas, I was surrounded by, I mean, some of the best young musicians in the country. Uh, they, it was, uh, it was uh, intimidating and surreal to say the least. But um, and so, yeah, I, you know, just being able to create and perform, you know, on a daily, hourly basis with those people, especially just the faculty like Fred Hamilton, Ed Sof, Lynn Seaton. Uh, Stefan Carlson, these are the rhythm section guys. 
that was that. I mean, that was a big break for me just to be able to make, play with them and have them. I don't know. Like a big break for me was uh, at UNT was uh, being called after I had already uh, finished my undergrad to come play with Fred Hamilton, who was teaching the graduate improv class. Okay. And that to me was like a huge thing is he's, he's the, you know, the head of the guitar department and he's coming to help me use me as basically like a drummer, you know, a drummer, a stand in drummer for his graduate student improv class. And we just basically spent a, a semester playing completely free, like three times a week. And so in school, that was a, a, a I mean, a huge kick in the ass and a, a, a great learning experience for me, um, just kind of being thrown into that. And then as far as when I when I left school, um, I was really lucky as soon as I moved, uh, you know, not long after moving to Chicago, maybe a couple months, I got into uh, the band or the band for Gina Glockson, who was a, uh, a finalist on, I believe, the sixth season of American Idol. And oh, wow. uh, she she put me to work right away, just doing a bunch of casino gigs and rock clubs around uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, you know, just the whole Midwest. Um, and that was a big break for me. Cause like, you know, like Ken said, it just gave me confidence. It just, I, I was on stage a lot in front of, um, you know, larger crowds than I'd been used to, especially as a jazz student. So, um, yeah, we were doing mostly, mostly top 40 covers, but it was, you know, high, uh, the, the stakes were a little higher than I was used to. And I was getting paid more than I was used to and I was performing more. So it was, uh, that was a, a big opportunity for me. All right. Very cool. Uh, now, once again, kind of playing along the theme of uh, uh, little education component here. Uh, when he first got started, uh, and that, again, for you gentlemen, may not been quite as long ago as it would have been for somebody like me. Uh, what would you consider to be the necessary survival skills uh, to make it as a well freelance musician? Other than being good at your instrument, right? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should that's... be a given, right? That no one yeah. should be mediocre, right? Exactly. Or being okay yeah. with being mediocre. Um, I would say, and I'm not the best role model for any of this. I wish I can just be good at guitar and that be it. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, that's not enough to cut it these days. Uh, you got to be, you got to be a good communicator, right? You got to be, um, you got to be a good team player. You know what I mean? And this is the sort of stuff that I feel like I didn't really get a, get uh, get in college, get taught in college. Um, you got to be just a, just a cool person. Like if, if you take music out of the equation, you're still working with other people. Uh-huh. And, uh, and if you're, you know, if you're punctual, if you're, if you're communicating your, you know, your thoughts about whatever projects you're working on um, and you're kind of like honest and, you know, all, all these things that make like a team work that you kind of need those things, I think, um, especially if you're anywhere near a leadership position. Um, yeah, I mean, like uh, just, you know, if you got a project going, you got to make sure that you're talking to the guys about scheduling rehearsals uh, constantly. You know what yeah. I mean? And And having this kind of like tenacity about booking more things, more writing sessions, more rehearsals, more gigs, because no one's going to do that for you. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, and it, uh-huh. and I, had to, I had to really kind of like, at first I, I, was, I just had to somehow motivate myself to do these things. But then once I did, I realized, oh, okay, this is, you know, it's not, nothing's going to happen if no one does this. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an unspoken, like no one really talked about it in my music school education, but it was always just like, 
I always felt like I assumed that, you know, people would just call me. Right. Like you, <laughs> like you could just practice and be good and that would just, you know, equal phone calls for better gigs. And, yeah, I, <laughs> I thought that too, but that's not that's not always you got to be really really good to just to get right. that, you know. And even then, like and even then like I think everyone has their version of this. I've heard like so many different iterations of it, but it's like if you can do two out of the the following three things, which is show up on time, be a really nice person, and be really good at your instrument, if you can do two out of those three, you're probably going to get a lot of work. Sure, like if, yeah. you're, if you show up on time and you're a super nice guy and you're really reliable, you don't have to be even the best at your instrument to get a lot of work. Yeah, and and I've seen the opposite of that be true. Um, not naming any names, and this person's not even in the state that I live in now. This was many, many years ago. But yeah. let's just say like a really, really good musician, right? a, a bass player. He was fantastic, Pro probably one of the best bass players I've ever heard. But the guy was not he, – he was not a nice guy, and he was arrogant, not fun to work with. And uh, it was interesting seeing someone as good as he was at his instrument become the guy that no one wanted to play with. Um <laughs> And wow. yeah, and I was like, yeah, I guess it, you know, you can kind of, um, kind of like lose an opportunity if you don't have these other kind of things together, you know. And like Luke was saying, just you know, be a nice guy, be on time. It's these other things that really make it work. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's um, always you can be as good as you want to be, but there's always going to be somebody who's half as good as you, who's like really happy to be there and shows up early. And, yeah. <laughs> and there's always going to be that guy and he's always going to get the gig. He or she is always going to get the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Right. One last question along this train of thought, and then I'll be talking more about, uh, spot it. Uh, but, uh, uh, how you've mentioned some things about you know, being, you know, showing up on time, being a decent human being and being good at your instrument. How do you prime the pump? How do you get that first gig that allows all of this, uh, to spiral out afterwards? Um, uh, how do you, uh, I'm not sure if I understand the question. Right. Uh, how do, uh, how'd you, how'd you get started? I mean, you, you both kind of rolled in, you know, one from Minneapolis, one from Denton, Texas, uh, you know, rolled into oh, Chicago. Okay. How'd you, yeah. how'd you get it out there so that you could get that first gig and start the whole process? Well, um, I guess I can speak on this since I more or less started the group. Um, and, and I can just speak on how I went about it. I am not saying this is the best way. <laughs> uh, this is just kind of how, how it came together for me. But when I when I came to Chicago uh, from, you know, s from school, um, I came to the city. It was with the express purpose of playing music. Like I'm coming to this city because it's a place where there's a lot of musicians and I want to get into a project and, you know, I want to do some work. Uh, so it started out with me just calling people that I knew and I knew a handful of players, some serious, some not serious, but I just called anybody that I knew just for jam sessions in the basement of the house that I lived in. Okay. Nothing serious, just just jams, just, you know, whatever. Just really laid back, kind of casual jamming. And uh, it became a fun thing. It became a weekly thing. And it became a thing that, like, you know, maybe a, a new guy would come in every now and then because he heard, you know, there were some people jamming. And then eventually the group kind of refined itself to you know only the the best players that really wanted to play together and we kind of came up with a couple tunes 
just kind of organically, naturally. Again, I'm not trying to start a band quite yet. I'm just trying to play with people and just kind of have fun. And it kind of started on its own. Like we kind of came up with a few tunes we thought were good that were original. And then it just got to the point where it's like, hey, guys, you know, why don't we why don't we book a gig somewhere? We you know, why don't we come up with a name and play these whatever four songs that we wrote? And uh, somebody got us a gig. <laughs> and at this point, the band wasn't even called Spocket. It was called I think it was called The Missing Shingles or something. I don't even <laughs> fully remember. Uh, but we got a gig at some bar on the south side and it felt really good to play. And then it just became this thing that was just like a part of my life that I don't know. I just was really excited about and I wanted to keep doing it. And that, so it's 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 kind of hard to say. It, it happened really slowly for me, but it just started out with me wanting to play and just trying to gather people to play. Uh-huh, like it, uh-huh. it, it wasn't like a like I didn't have this whole thing thought out before, um, you know, before I put the band together. It just kind of slowly happened. Yeah. So yeah. I, so if I have any advice, it's just. Find some people to play with and take it seriously in the sense that you want to, you want your music to sound good and just really focus on the music. And once you get the music good enough, you're naturally going to want to like, you're naturally going to start thinking about putting it out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, I guess that's how it happened for me. I mean, that's how I met Luke. Um, eventually, the band needed a drummer. Luke was really good, so maybe he wanted to play. Well, you guys, I think we're rehearsing at my apartment. <laughs> that's true. We kind of forced you into it. Yeah, you know, you guys were doing drummer auditions and I was just like, hey, I should, you know, I think I can do this. That's that that is true. That's kind of funny. Because uh, I don't think we had anyone considered asking you at, at, by the point we've already had a few auditions and you were just right. kind of witnessing it all happen. Like, oh, man, I can do this. <laughs> I was like, oh, this will be fun. This, this <laughs> on me. I think yeah. it's fun. Go ahead. The, first, the first gig. So I think a really important thing and i'm only kind of just now um learning this in its entirety is like don't aim too high for your first like little couple times out like if you it's way better to have a great crowd at a super small club than to just you know bomb at a large venue uh-huh true interesting yeah it's way better to pack them in there even at a house show okay then to then you know underdraw at a place where they're needing to pay a bartender and a sound guy. Okay, cool. All right. Gents, you meant, or, uh, Ken, particularly you mentioned the, the uh, founding the band Spocket. So, so uh, the, we already heard, uh, earlier the track, uh, swag mountain. Um, tell us a little bit about that tune, you know, uh, kind of sure. give us a little history about that. Uh, so it was honestly, it was just, uh, uh, a couple sections that I wrote long before I actually introduced it to anybody. I must have had these. I mean, it's just you know two sections, handful of chords, and a very kind of small minor melody. I was sitting on that for I don't know maybe maybe two years before I even played it for anyone. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was just something I came up with, and I remembered it. I never had plans for it of being a huge song. It was just something I liked, and I. Just remembered it after ever since I wrote it, and then uh, the band needed some new material, and then I just kind of you know dusted that off from uh, from my library of random things that I wrote and introduced it to the band, and everyone liked it, and then everyone kind of helped complete the song. 
Because, like I said, I only had like an A and B section, and the melody was maybe not even fully fleshed out. But with the help of the other guys, they, you know, we turned it into a a full, you know, five minute tune with all sorts of sections and solos and different changes, different instrumentation and crazy arrangements that I hadn't thought of when I first wrote it. So, yeah, it started out as like just, you know, like a half a page sketch, let's call it. And everyone else kind of helped me complete it. Cool. Can you uh, quickly give us a rundown on the personnel for that track? Yeah, so uh, myself on guitar, Luke on drums. We have um, Gordon Pondstar. Let's just say his last name is Pondstar on <laughs> bass. I I don't know how he calls himself these days. Uh, okay, that's so cool. Gordon Pondstar on bass. Um, we have Neil Carson on saxophone, Josh Torrey on trombone. Oh yeah. Um, your son, Mr. Colin, on uh, <laughs> on all the keyboards. No. And um, I don't want to butcher this guy's name on percussion, Luke. You called him yeah, in. Alex Santilli. Alex Santilli on okay. on percussion. Mm-hmm. That's a great track. I absolutely love it. Uh, all right. Now, uh, continuing with this train of thought, uh, I want to play some more of, of your music. Uh, the next tune that I want to put on the uh, pod is a little thing called Dairy Isle. Uh, you know, tell us about that. <laughs> Uh, you want to take this, Luke, or should I? Well, I mean, do you know, do you know this? Do you remember the story of why we called it Dairy Isle? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, definitely. Why don't you take it? All right. So we uh we had um we our first album, I guess self titled. Uh, it got a review in a online music publication that I honestly don't remember the name. I'm pretty sure it, it's either no longer around or they changed their name, but we actually got a review. And it was it was not the best review, although it was a little confusing because I think we got something like 3.7 out of five stars or something. Mm. Like the number wasn't terrible, yeah. but the review yeah. uh, <laughs> the review itself was pretty bad. If you read it, um, at one point he compared our music to uh, jazz that you would hear um, playing at a grocery store, and I don't really <laughs> know what he meant by that. Yeah. But, <laughs> Specific. Yeah, he's like, oh, it sounds like, uh, you know, jazz, you know, grocery store jazz or something. Yeah, and I was like, I don't that? even know what that is, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we called this next tune Dairy Isle Jazz as kind of a, you know, response, almost like mocking his, uh, <laughs> his critique of us. <laughs> and, and so let's call this, uh, you know, music for a, a dairy isle, which it's, I don't know, it's really not if you listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> And who's the personnel on this track? So it's all the same sans uh, sans percussion. We don't have any percussion on this track. As far as I know, every player is the same. Okay. Josh and Neil as the yep. horns and the same rhythm section as before. So. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, folks, let's give a listen to Dairy Isle. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, gents, uh, uh, we're dealing with some really bizarre times right now. And uh, in our pre-conversation, you mentioned teaching online. And I do think that, you know, particularly these days where you know, people are not even allowed to go. You know, I, I went to vote the other day and it was, I felt kind of weird because I, I walked towards a polling place. And I see somebody look up at me and they smile and then they walk across the street to walk around me. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is just, this is weird. Well, because everybody's paranoid. They don't want to get near it. Well, yeah, you're going to, I get too close to you and I'm going to vaporize or something. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I get it. I, but it's, it doesn't make it feel any less strange. So, you know, right now going out and playing in clubs I mean, all the clubs in Illinois are shut down. So, we're doing things online, and one of the big things that has been going on before, even before this uh, uh, this illness started to become a thing, um, people were teaching online. So talk to me about uh, what it's like to be a digital music teacher. Uh, you know, help me out with that. Well, I'm not sure if I have that much to say because, to be honest, I've only done it two days so far. Yeah, I got <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, Monday and Tuesday. Today is Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's something. Uh, the, what, what about you, Luke? Have you done something like this before? I, yeah, like a long time ago, I think I did a couple Skype lessons. I took a couple Skype lessons um, from somebody. But I, I, it's something, you know, it's weird. Like, I, you know, I'm not trying to find too many silver linings in this, uh, this situation, especially for musicians. But I, I've, it's something I've been meaning to get set up for myself for a long time. Is the ability to to do online lessons through Skype or Google Hangouts or whatever, and yeah, the um this this uh, crisis has definitely um given me a lot more incentive to do that. So yeah. so far, I've had nothing but good things to say about it. It's a really really good way uh to market yourself as a musician. If I mean if you've been you know professional and working in the last you know the last couple of years, you you probably have something to offer somebody. And um, I think musicians, especially now, would be very smart to open themselves up to as many you know, online lessons as they can. Yeah. I'd say the, the only downside is um, for my teaching, I, there's so much of my teaching during the lesson that we're, I'm actually trying to play together with the student. Right. So uh. that's, that's the one thing that kind of completely disappears when you teach online. So I really had to figure out how to adjust, how to fill in that time that I would be actually just playing with more instruction or or something like that. So there are definite hurdles. If you're used to if you're used to teaching but you've never taught online, there's definitely some hurdles to get over. The learning yeah. curve, sure. Um but uh you know there's some benefits. Like I, I teach some younger kids and you know these these kids are nuts. <laughs> they kinda go nuts and you know I mean ten year olds they just want to kind of goof off. So the lesson can be a little you know, it could be a little tough sometimes to keep things under control. But since I taught some of these guys online from their home, you know, their mom's in the next do- next room. <laughs> and I noticed that everyone's kind of on their best behavior all of a sudden. I'm like, wow, why yeah. can't you just do this, uh, you know, in the lessons in person? Um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bonus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've tried teaching digitally as a trumpet teacher. And the big problem for me is uh challenge for the trumpet is you got to be able to hear the other person's sound yeah and and uh, and when they're playing at a microphone on a computer um that just can be you know the thing can be clipping like crazy i I did have some weird experiences where one guy would always show up with a sandwich and a beer and they'd be (laughs) they'd be on screen and while i was talking he'd be eating the sandwich and drinking the beer and then (laughs) put his horn down and pick his horn and start blowing through there Another guy used to show up in his underwear. That uh, that was just too creepy. So I finally said, wow. no, I can't. But you know, if <laughs> you I if, complain if, to. <laughs> if I were, I think now I would probably do it. That you know, I didn't. I, that was like 10, 12 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but, well, this is all pretty new, and um, I thought about starting up again. That just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, all right, now let's get back to the band. Um, uh, Spocket just sounds great. I love the stuff. And as I errantly managed to miscall the band Spotify earlier. <laughs> I think uh, that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're all over Spotify. Uh, how do you go about promoting the music? How do you sell it? Uh, well, uh, part of me wants to say we don't, <laughs> but... We we do. It's just it's not on the it's not in the on the level where we're you know it's our primary source of income or anything, but uh, we we use what's available to us. We use what other bands use. So that's social media, um, 
mainly Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're working on getting our YouTube channel um, more filled with videos. Um, and, and those are really the main three uh, ways of promoting yourself these days. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like a flyer uh, doesn't have as much impact as it used to. Um, although that is also something we do, um, you know, just make out flyers for the events, uh, and also word of mouth, uh, you know, tell a few friends, uh, hope, you know, uh, I would say recommend non-musician friends. Cause a lot of your musician friends probably also have a gig, yeah. might all, might play in the same band as you do, or, you know, whatever, uh -huh. just tell as many people as you can. And if they're interested, they'll tell someone and hopefully they'll tell someone and, and it should spread like that. Um, Real I mean, that's stuff. Yeah. And, and and I think that it really takes all of these things working together. Not one of these outlets is really going to get it there. It's yeah. going to be slowly accumulating from every little place where you kind of put it in. Um, so you you really got to be utilizing all of it to get the, the maximum amount of exposure. Um, and even then it's tough. I mean, I, I think right now. We've we've talked about really putting the focus on getting some videos out there, because a video is a performance that's you know it's almost like eternal. It's always going to be up on YouTube. You can always view it. So you know from one performance that you made in November, you could be getting fans for the next five years that just happen to click on that thing. Yeah. So we're trying to build out our kind of performance library on YouTube, and focusing on that is like the next way of promoting ourselves now are you talking about videos of concerts or going into a recording studio and having a couple of videographers come in and and do like a slick sort of mtv sort of affair i think i think the latter because it's just kind of hard to uh capture a concert there's more variables to get good audio good video um it's easier for everyone to just get together on an afternoon and kind of laid back to a few takes of once, you know, one or two songs and just making sure it's as good as it can be. Um, that's you, what I think. But what do you what, think, what, Luke? I, 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 yeah, I think, um, but, I, but also both are really valuable. Like if you can get like live video footage is really nice. If you can get it, if you can really capture the moment and, and get a nice uh, minute long clip out of it and get a hundred views. That's all. That's just as good as, uh, you know, a bunch of people showing up to a small club. Yeah, yeah. Now, the trick of the live thing, it strikes me, is to, to get a decent mix of the sound. Yeah. I mean, so uh, we we have we have um the, the the show that we played at uh I'm sorry Bourbon on Division. Remember that, Luke? Yep. So we got good video for that, but we don't have any good audio. So I was always really apprehensive about putting it up because it looks good, but it doesn't sound good. So I was always worried that you know. Uh, people just might think we're a bad band because the yeah. audio quality is bad. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, good. I mean, if you're in band, good video is nothing without good sound. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I'm still kind of on the fence of whether or not I should throw that stuff up. We have, cause the video looks great. I just, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you can close your eyes and enjoy it, you know? Right. I've seen so many bands uh, and some that I even play in where the, they'll have some of the audience with an iPhone and they, they get a video, and they slap it up on the internet, and I'll, I'll get wind of it, and I'll listen to it, and I'll, oh, my God, why did he put that up? Yeah. It's just, it sounds horrible. Everything is distorted, and the mix sounds terrible. But, you know, people like that video well, thing. A lot of people just want you to know they're working. Yeah, there is that. There is that. 
Yeah. I, I personally want to control the quality of my own content if I can to not include just like the really crappy phone stuff. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even the really crappy phone stuff, people consume it. I mean, if you're a good enough musician, people will watch your video no matter how poor the quality is, you know? Um, and I and even I do like some of my favorite players. Like if if there's like a phone video of them just kind of randomly playing somewhere, I, I'll watch it, you know, um, because they're that good. But yeah. um, but if you're not that good, if you're just some kind of nobody, yeah, I'll probably pass on your poor sound quality video, yeah. you know. Um, getting back to the EP, um, the the sound that I really like your mix. Uh, how do you handle the recording? Did you go to the studio? Uh, how did record this new project that you believe. so we actually did this all ourselves and uh I'll, I'll take the i'll take that as a compliment about the mix because i that was that was my dirty work right there that sounds um, great man thank you yeah yeah so i uh i engineered uh, pretty much everything but i had it mastered by a friend so um i did everything but the mastering okay then what yeah. did the what did the mastering studio bring to it that you couldn't um, I don't know exactly what processes he used, but it did uh, make everything sound brighter, more present, uh, louder. Um, that was the main thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. So I'd I'd say mo those three things right off the bat. It was louder. It was brighter. There was a lot that I I, I guess I maybe wasn't doing in the mix to bring out the higher end. Uh, it was a little less muddy and. Um, just sounds good i don't I, again i don't really know what processes he used yeah it's a lot of stuff with filtering and compression but yeah yeah uh, yeah so i th did you record the thing in a studio no we recorded everything in luke's apartment probably where he's sitting right now yep really yep. yeah <laughs> so the, what you could do is it like well luke you got your drum kit there already so uh -huh. you didn't have to go but everybody else just has to drag their gear in and you just plug them in and go so uh, we some of these uh, tracks, and I don't remember exactly which is recorded which way, but um, it, a lot of it's kind of pasted together. It's not a hundred percent live performance. I, okay. You know, you might be hearing a solo being done on top of a rhythm section that was done two weeks prior or something like ah, that. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's it's so it's a little deceiving for I don't know. I guess it's a jazz record. It's a little deceiving that it's it's not always you're not always hearing live musicians playing together but the, the process that we used to get it to sound as good as it did was we'd start with the drums yeah. um we you know we might record a scratch track um and then we record the drums as cleanly as we can to that and then we kind of start adding instruments on top after that um and depending on the song some songs we tracked multiple instruments up top like we might have done drums bass and keys all in one take and then we layered the other things after that. But, um, yeah, I guess we kind of pieced it together, like maybe more like a rock or a pop record more so than a jazz record. But uh, we're, you know, we're a little rock and roll. What can I say? <laughs> uh, the, again, everything sounds really cool. Now we're, uh, Josh stories or trombone player. What was the name of the sax player, tenor player again? Neil Carson. Neil Carson. I feel like I know him, but I hate to admit that I, the name's not leaping out. I know Josh. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you do know Neil. He's really good. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can hear that. Very, very good. Um, but uh, so, but no trumpet, right? No trumpet. Okay. Uh, just, Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, now were they? Uh, did they record their parts uh, live with the band, or was that punch over? I think all the horns was punched over. Yeah. 
Oh, hey, hey, that's that's how you got, especially when you're recording in somebody's home and not necessarily Studio A, it's uh, CRC. Uh, but um, yeah, it, you know, it's, I'm intrigued by how you did it. That's becoming more and more of a theme. One podcast I did not too long ago, the uh, uh, my guest told me that yeah, he just figured it was just cheaper to buy the gear than to try to pay for studio time. Yeah, um, there's uh, pros, there's pros and cons to both. Um, and I'm not gonna say that this is better than going into a studio. A big part of why I did it this way is because I'm actually genuinely interested in audio production myself. Uh And I, this is almost like my learning kind of gig. Um, you know, I I could put as much time into it as I want. It's my music. So I have a good idea of what it should sound like. So, uh, if, if I didn't, if I didn't, hadn't spent time learning audio production, I wouldn't have tried to do it, but I, w- I am spending time learning audio production, so I just this seemed like a good opportunity for me to put all that stuff together. So, out of curiosity, did you use a complete? Did you use a real board, or did you use a a, a digital board in the graphic user interface for? Uh, what do you use, Pro Tools or Logic Pro? So everything on that album was used. Uh, we used Ableton and oh, uh, okay, and, sure. a, and a, ta- a Tascam. I think it's a Tascam 18 by eight. I don't know, Luke. It's it should yeah. be right near you. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, it's like a, I believe it's a 16-channel interface that's $300. <laughs> um, wow. I will say oh. that all the gear that used on this uh, on this album, except for the instruments themselves, is really kind of entry-level. You know, I'm not going to say bottom shelf, but some of the cheaper stuff that's out there in terms of mics, interfaces, I don't know, cables. Yeah. Um, the only thing that was expensive was the instruments themselves, and uh, I guess Ableton's kind of expensive. Yeah, yeah. But still, I think it's a real tribute to what people can achieve with a DIY scenario. Uh, that, that came out great. Um, Thank you. How do you deal with uh, bankrolling something like this? Did the musicians all donate their time as buddies involved in a project they all believed in, or did you have to hire them all? Uh, uh, Luke, do you want to, you want to speak on this one? I mean, I mean, we, the, the, I mean, there, since we did all the recording in my apartment, there was no like cost in renting a spot out. So that was all cool. We were all using gear that we had. I think we didn't have to rent any mics, did we? No, I might've borrowed a mic from a buddy here and there. No, we didn't. The, and yeah, we, we really didn't spend much and uh, yeah, all the musicians, on the record were, you know, nice enough to treat it as like a passion project. We'd all been like playing this music for years and through various, uh, you know, hitches in the road, we just kind of couldn't get it down. So a lot of the, I mean, every song, I think with the exception of, I think every song in the EP with the exception of Swag Mountain and maybe one other, what was, I think we've at least been playing for five years. Okay. Yeah and, yeah, and we're fortunate enough to have a group of guys that all really like doing it. No one has ever, you know, asked me for money and you know for them to show up. Everyone's showing up because this is the project that, you know, is is the fun original project that, you know, kind of dilutes maybe some of the uh mundane jobbing stuff that we all have to do. Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so we're all really lucky to just have a team that wants to be there. Um, we pay out when we can, you know, whenever we have gigs like live shows and we sell some merch, make some money from the bar, uh, we'll, we'll pay out. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not why people are doing this. 
it's interesting because one other thing that I think that uh, a lot of people would be interested in is how do you go about forming a band to do something like this um, you know, in, 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 in the context of survival? Uh, so I guess maybe I should say asking for a friend. <clears throat> so uh, yeah. there we have. Well, anyway, I, fascinating stuff. Uh, let's get to the next track here. Uh, sure. And this is the title track, uh, Dipl- Diplomatic Immunity. Uh, please explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't remember why it's called this. Luke, do you? I don't either. <laughs> there there was some discussion when we named the song, uh, although I don't know if I can really tell you exactly what the story is behind it. Um, Didn't did Mike write it? Yeah, so I, I should mention that, that this is one of the tracks where we you're hearing a, a couple – different musicians uh so there there's a a couple tracks on there that don't feature just the members that i already named uh on the track what was uh we hear um alex blomars on saxophone and carl kennedy on keys so i want to give him a shout out there and on on the title track diplomatic immunity um we have mike lang on bass instead of mr pondstar um so he actually initially wrote a lot of this skeleton for the song i'll call it uh and maybe that's just the title that he brought in yeah he he, he i think he he brought a not a he didn't have the horn parts exactly figured out when he brought it to us but like yeah like the groove and the general structure of the song and a lot of the transitions he had already thought up before he brought it in along with the title so i mean we we just kind of we kind of let mike do his thing with it yeah, so there might be a, there might be a story behind that that not, you know either Luke or, or I we just don't know it. <laughs> We'd have to bring <laughs> in Mike to see if he can comment. Um, yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. Let's listen to Spocket playing "Diplomatic Immunity." <laughs>
advice would you want to offer a young musician considering getting into the business? So you want to be a musician, then, then uh, what would you think? Um, I will say uh, just understand and be ready that being good at your instrument is not enough. Um, yeah. Me, me to make it work as a musician, my just my income alone comes from three to five different places depending on the month. Uh, and it's not any one of those that's really making it all work. You know, I do a little teaching, I do some gigs, you know, I also repair some instruments on the side, which is very much in the same kind of general realm. Um, and if you really want to, for music to be your career, just be ready that you might be, you know, juggling a lot of different things. Uh, and you're very fortunate if you can get by on one gig. Um, you know, I, I don't know too many people that really only have one gig. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so just kind of know that that's uh, the reality. Um, and you, again, going back to you have to be something – you don't have, you have to be more than just good at your instrument. Uh, you know, you're not just going to get a call. <laughs> like Luke was yeah. saying, like you're not just going to be good, finish school, and just get a call. Like you got to be – you got a network. Uh, that I, th I think I actually really want to put that word out there. You got a network. Okay. And by network, I mean go to shows, meet people, find bands that are playing in the scene that maybe have a couple years that – that are a couple years ahead of you. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly did that. Um, when I got to Chicago, I you know, I just started looking up local bands that were kind of big, playing the music that I liked. And Spare Parts came up a lot. Yep. And I ended up kind of following them going to their shows and kind of looking up to them as local guys. And, you know, at this point we've already played a couple shows with them. Right. So, so yeah, network, um, go see bands, go meet people, go meet other musicians. Uh, you can't just sit at home and expect anything to happen. You, right. you need people to know about you somehow. Uh, and people think your instrument or whatever you do, that your then your face has to come up in their head. Otherwise you're not going to get the call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, one thing I would add is just I think there's a lot of uh, there, there's this. It seems to me sometimes, especially in like the younger millennial generation, uh, kind of coming out of school, that there's this weird, almost like romanticism with being a like, well, I only play my instrument, and thusly I'm not going to make money doing anything else, and I'm going to be broke because of it, and all that. And I don't think that archetype really goes anywhere and i see I, I i hear that and i see that a lot where just young musicians are really they're not they're not i don't think they're setting themselves up for a long-term career by struggling so much early like if you have to get i worked a lot of weird odd jobs and day gigs when i first moved to the city and it took me you know well into five years of living here before i could consider myself a professional musician Oh, huh. same here. That's another thing I want to add. Get ready to not do music for the first beginning part of your yeah. career. <laughs> uh, you know, after even after school, pretty sure I was just a delivery guy for a solid three years. I mean, yeah. I was playing music. I, I was uh, I had you know, I was playing. I was starting the Spocket stuff. I was doing a lot of practicing. I was taking gigs where I can get them. But I was paying my rent delivering sandwiches. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. for a lot of us, you know, it takes some time before you can develop um you know just getting enough gigs for 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 a living because i right now i'm grateful that all my income comes from something musical but it took a while to get here so i i don't know how many of us kind of get this right away um not many not many yeah i don't think yeah 
Boy, fascinating stuff. Really important we got that out there. Okay, we've been talking a lot about the band Spocket. If I were scrounging around on the internet, how would I go about finding Spocket? Web pages, stuff like that. So the first thing you need to do is not type in the letter R when you're spelling us out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's really easy to write Sprocket. Google, I think, maybe might try to correct you. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pocket with an S, not sprocket. Spocket, no R. Spocket, not sprocket. Uh, we are on Spotify. We are on iTunes. We have stuff on Bandcamp. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. We have a YouTube channel. Um, did I miss anything, Luke? Uh, our website, spocketmusic.com. We have a website. <laughs> that would be a big miss. Yeah. <laughs> we have a website, spocketmusic.com. If you search Spocket Music, one word on Google, that should do it. Uh, so, Jens, you have a new video coming out? Yeah. Yep. So it's actually a, a, an arrangement that your your son has, has written for us. Of, um, we're not going? saying what it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away, but let's say it's a popular song from the two thousands. That's been that's been jazzified, cool, okay, and reharmonized and uh, rewritten. More complicated. Yeah, and way more complicated than it was before. Uh, so we filmed a, we recorded it and we filmed a video, kind of a live thing, semi live thing. Um, uh, we were, we did this what in October? Yep. So the performance is in October, and it's t- it's taken me forever to get this video edited, but it's uh, it's gonna get done this week, and then I think maybe a week after that we'll be ready to throw it up on the on the internet well, for everyone to check to out. Wow, great new video from the band Spocket, gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking time to sit down with me today and and, and get through this uh, <laughs> this digital Armageddon out there, um, and so. Uh, Luke Engel and Ken Stebley, I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Jens. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. I want to thank Luke Engel and Ken Stebley for chatting with me today. I thought there were many noteworthy ideas to be gleaned from all of this. I want to encourage you to go support their band by actually buying their tracks and not just streaming them. Folks, these are trying times right now, particularly for the arts. My friend from Australia, trumpeter and composer Adrian Kelly, tweeted about this today. He pointed out that one way we can all support musicians impacted by the need for self-quarantine is to do just what I mentioned mentioned above. Support musicians by actually buying their music. Yeah, I know Apple Music and Spotify, Atoll, kick in so little that the actual purchase is borderline meaningless, but it's something. If you really like a musician's artistic presence in the world, just kick in a random donation to PayPal to that group or artist. An extremely crude estimate of the number of internet users in the world is about 3.5 billion. So if you kind of use your imagination, the possibilities for support can be pretty staggering. So if you like an artist, kick in some money for them through PayPal. Just, you know, commentary, tell them that's what you're doing. In any case, support musicians who are trying to make the world a bit more beautiful by decorating some time with beautiful sounds. I want to conclude with an expanded sign-off, so hang in there with me. Be smart. Be safe. Be loving. And above all, don't live in fear. Don't stop the music. Peace. Peace.